Welcome to another episode of Search News You Can Use with me, Dr. Marie Haynes. In this episode, we're going to talk about EAT. Google's H.J. Kim said that EAT is important for every single search. Well, EAT is not a score. It's important and it matters for every single keyword that we want to rank for. The most common questions that I get asked on EAT are things like, does EAT matter for non-YMYL queries? Does it matter? Uh, does it help if you add on an expert reviewer? How do we measure EAT? These are all things that I'm going to discuss in this video and answer some of my followers' questions in regards to EAT, expertise, authoritativeness, and trustworthiness. I'm going to share some exciting news out of SMX Next about a new Google algorithm. It's not new, but it's new to SEOs. It's new to me called Kowati. At SMX Next, Barry Schwartz interviewed H. H.J. Kim. H.J. Kim is the VP of engineering for Google search. Um, he's been working at Google search since 2004, and he's worked on pretty much every big update that we've talked about in Google search. He's responsible for more than 20 patents, and it was his group that launched the Panda algorithm back in 2011. He says that Google has been trying to show, to make sure that users see authoritative results rather than low quality results since the days of Kowati. Uh, he said this as if we all knew what Kowati was. I'm going to come back to Kowati in just a minute. And then he said up until the day today with the helpful content update, Google's mission has remained the same to produce helpful content, to show searchers helpful content. What's changed is the technology advancements that they've had. Advancements in AI and especially in deep neural networks. Machines try to mimic how the human mind works with deep neural networks. These are things that have allowed Google to go even further in assessing quality for websites. So HJ told us that Panda as we know it has devolved. It ended up kind of merging or becoming this new algorithm called Kowati. And uh, we think, it sounds like that happened when Panda became integrated into the main core algorithm of Google. HJ said that people were creating content just for the sake of ranking. And he gave an example of somebody writing an article on how to cook a steak. And the first step in the article was find a pan that fits your steak. Uh, things that weren't really that helpful. And this was the type of thing that people were continually creating on the web. So Panda was created to encourage site owners to actually create great content. It wasn't meant to demote bad content, but more to promote high quality content. And then Panda evolved into Kowati, which is now a part of the core ranking algorithm. This is really important when we talk about EAT. I'm going to share how EAT is a component of ranking and most likely Kowati is what allows Google to evaluate and to use EAT signals. So let's talk about one question that comes up often. Is EAT only important for YMYL topics? Here is what HJ said. EAT is a core part of our metrics and it stands for expertise, expertise, authoritativeness, and trustworthiness. Um, you know, this hasn't been, always been there uh, in Google and it's something that we developed um, about 10 to 12, 10 to 12 or 13 years ago. And it really is there to make sure that um, along the lines of what we talked about earlier is that it, it really is there to ensure that the content that people consume is going to be, um, it's not going to be harmful and it's going to be useful to the user. 
Um, these are principles that we live by every single day. Um, an EAT, that, um, uh, that template of how we rate uh, an individual site based off of expertise, authority, authoritativeness, and trustworthiness, we do it to every single query and every single, um, every single result. So it's, it's actually very pervasive throughout everything that we do. Um, I will say that the YMYL queries, the your, your money or your life queries, such as, you know, when I'm looking for a, um, you know, a, a mortgage or when I'm looking for the local ER, those we have, uh, we have a particular eye on and we pay a bit more attention to those queries because clearly they're, they're some of the most important decisions that people can make, uh, some of the most important um, decisions they'll, they'll ever make in their lives. So I would say that EAT uh, has a, a bit more of an impact there. But again, I will say that EAT applies to everything, every single query. EAT is designed to make sure that the content that Google presents to searchers is first, not harmful, and second, that it is useful to the user. And this is in line with Google's documentation. They tell us in this document on how the quality raters guidelines work, that there are two things that quality raters assess, page quality, whether or not a page is actually going to be harmful to people, and then also whether a searcher's needs have been met. This right here is my new template when I'm analyzing sites. What I do is I look at queries that dropped, especially in conjunction with Google updates. I look at pages that Google elevated, and then what I do is I evaluate the two of those based on what we know about EAT, how it's described in Google's Quality Raters Guidelines and also other documentation. And then we also look at how well pages meet the needs of searchers, especially those pages that were elevated above the client that I'm evaluating. HJ talked about Google using EAT to rate sites. That was his word that you have an EAT rating. <laughs> now, we're not gonna get into the big discussion about is there an EAT score? As you're gonna see as I continue to talk about EAT, it is so much more than just a score. EAT is more important for some queries than for others, which means it has more of an impact for some queries, for YMYL queries, but EAT still applies to everything that happens in Google's algorithms. EAT is important, but what is it? Is it something that we can improve? You can improve EAT. You can improve it both on your site and both off-site as well. Let's talk about Google's documentation on how search works because they tell us how they use EAT. They tell us that there are a few steps when it comes to ranking. Step one, understand the meaning of a query. And this is where language models come into play. Google can understand what it is that a searcher is trying to look for. Step two, Google looks into their index and they return pages from the index that match that query. It might be a page that contains that keyword in the title tag, in heading tags perhaps. Um, it might be a page that contains synonyms of that query or uh, concepts that are related to that query. This is something that we've known as SEOs that Google has this index and that they return information from the index to be able to show it to searchers. And last week, 
week, we talked a little bit about how Google uses machine learning. I talked about this in my SMX Next presentation as well, that Google uses machine learning. They actually tell us that they use interaction data. They look at which pages people click on. They probably look at how long people clicked with them, whether they stayed with that page, whether they went back and did another search. Now, this is not a direct ranking factor, but Google uses machine learning then to create algorithms to figure out what is it about those pages that make them important and helpful to this query. And they weigh the algorithm based on what's important for that query. The most important step though, in my opinion, is step three, where they actually talk about EAT and they say, after identifying relevant content, our systems aim to prioritize those that seem the most helpful. So Google has retrieved pages from their index that seem relevant. Keywords, concepts are in there. They use machine learning to rank pages by how helpful they are. And then they do more to determine helpfulness. Google says to do this, their algorithms identify signals that can help determine which content demonstrates expertise, authoritativeness, and trustworthiness. For every single query, Google is assessing EAT. What does this mean? The answer lies in understanding your customers, in understanding what's important to them in relation to EAT. And this is gonna look different for every single site that you look at. You need to look at the questions that Google has given us. And I'm gonna talk a lot about these questions. Uh, they were initially the core update questions. We've also got the helpful content questions. And these are things that are gonna help us to understand what it is that Google looks for in terms of EAT. Before I talk about those questions, I wanna just briefly recommend another podcast to you. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you will enjoy Wix's SERP Up podcast uh, with Morty Orbustein and Crystal Carter. I saw that recently they talked about uh, page speed and performance. And I saw they also have an episode uh, just recently uploaded on using Search Console as well. This is something that Wix has paid for for me to mention this podcast. I really think that you'll enjoy it. So let's get back to EAT. Let's talk about some of these questions that I got. Kunal asks, does EAT matter when you're writing about tech blogs? tech blog articles. Well, now we know EAT matters for every single query. So you know the answer to this is yes. And what EAT signals Google is looking for for a tech blog is going to look different than what they look for for say a medical information site. So what we need to do here is search for some queries that you wanna rank for, that you think that your tech blog should rank for and assess the top ranking pages in the eyes of Google's guidelines. Uh, and Google's guidelines can be the helpful content questions, the core update questions. They've given us a lot of things that we can use to uh, assess these, these websites in the eyes of. So let's say I did a search for, uh, I was trying to think of a, a, a tech thing and I grabbed my uh, Fitbit. Let's say I did a search for Fitbit charge. If I do this search right now, the three sites that I see ranking really well are Tech Radar, Android Authority, and CNET. These are really high authoritative websites. So I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to look at the questions that Google gives us in their guide on how to create helpful content. And I'm going to look at, um, where this fits in. And one of the questions is if somebody researched the site producing the content, would they come away with the impression that this is, uh, this site is well-trusted, well-recognized and authority on its topic. So clearly for this query for Fitbit charge, something that is weighted heavily in Google's algorithms is authoritativeness. And if this is the case, you could spend 
forever working on author bios, on trying to beef up the expertise of your author and how you demonstrate it in bios, you're not going to have more authority than a site like TechRadar or, uh, or CNET. There are some things I see some people trying to, um, you know, maybe if we just add more signals for EAT that we're going to be able to outrank these authoritative sites. If you are not an authoritative site, you can't convince Google that you are. Uh, unless you become an authoritative site. And the way to do that is to get known in your industry to truly have people linking to you and mentioning you and recommending your content. Now, there are probably queries that you can rank for that are less competitive, that it's not just big authoritative giants that are ranking. I did some thinking of a query that I might search for, uh, and the query was Xbox Elite Paddle Mappings for Fortnite. It was a very long query, but it's the type of thing where uh, maybe the giant sites are not ranking for, uh, for tech information. And I see that the first thing that's ranking is a YouTube video by somebody named Slash, uh, you know, probably not the most authoritative person uh, in the world. And this, this gives me a little bit of hope that you could perhaps rank in this spot, assuming that this was related to the topics that you talk on. The first site that was ranking was one called Mega Mods, and next under that was Reddit. And so that tells me there's some opportunity here to rank because it's not like I have to beat the authority of a giant authoritative site. And this actually does look helpful. I think I'm going to take some time to read this article later. And we can see that these guys actually play with controllers for their living. They're not just content writers writing about controllers. They have firsthand expertise. This is something that several of Google's questions talk about is, do you actually have an existing audience for the topics that you're writing on? Um, does your content demonstrate firsthand expertise. Again, no words in an author bio are going to make your website, your content look like it's coming from a place of firsthand expertise when you are not necessarily known for fixing controllers. So you can see here where this is not something where you could manufacture expertise so that you can compete against this content. Now, the place where you could compete is uh, whether you can produce more helpful content than what currently exists. And as long as you have a certain level of EAT uh, in order for Google to feel that your content is not necessarily going to harm anyone, then helpfulness for some queries can trump expertise. And this is something that you'll need to play around with looking at the queries that you want to rank for. Next question, Rayford asks, do articles written by a person or referring to that person in media, think of a source like Newsweek or the New York Times, does that tie back to EAT for that person's site? So in other words, does more traditional publicity pay off in terms of reflecting EAT? I think this is all connected to the knowledge graph. Now, we've had some arguments and some debates amongst SEOs about whether Google has information in the knowledge graph on every single author. I think that they do. If you want to research this in the quality rater guidelines, take a look at it and do a control F for the word experts and see all the places where it talks about how other experts talking about you can speak to your EAT. Being mentioned in conjunction with other experts is something that speaks to your expertise. For example, if I write an article that's published on search engine land, that information probably feeds into the knowledge graph. The knowledge graph knows that search engine land is authoritative on the topics of SEO. And there's a connection there now that connects my name with the topic of SEO. And that probably strengthens uh, Google's confidence in the fact that I have skills in SEO as well. So getting mentioned in authoritative places, especially on topics that are connected, are relevant to what you 
want to rank for uh, is most definitely something that can contribute to EAT. I asked Gary Ish uh, years ago at a PubCon conference how EAT was evaluated, and he actually told us that it's largely based on links and mentions from authoritative sites. This next question is one that I get asked all the time. You can have uh, an expert level author, but a lot of people can't hire expert level authors. And for example, a lot of doctors are great doctors, but they're not great writers. (laughs) And so uh, it doesn't help to have an expert level reviewer attached to your content. And I would say that in a lot of cases it does. Now, it's not something that you can fake though. If you put a doctor's name on your content and you say, uh, assuming you have medical content, you say this expert has reviewed this content. There are many other signals that Google can use. I do think it's possible that Google can look at the knowledge graph and can say, you know, this person that you said reviewed your content is an expert. We've seen them connected to other experts. We see that they have skills in this area. They are definitely qualified to write on this, but I bet you that Google looks for other uh, signals to say that, uh, to demonstrate that this doctor is legitimately connected with your business. Has there been an announcement that you have a partnership? Have they mentioned on their LinkedIn page that they also write for you? There are signals that can be used to strengthen the fact that a doctor is actually helping you or a professional is actually helping you write your content. I also think that Google can tell when content is professionally written. Uh, As a veterinarian years ago, the content that I would write describing a cat's problem is going to be vastly different than what a content writer would write. I will speak in a different language almost. I will know what's important to certain uh, topics and an expert will write in a different way. And I believe that Google can recognize that as well. Uh, I also believe that Google can recognize that expert level content often references other experts. And I think that that's a signal that Google could look for. They want to make sure that you are referencing authoritative sources, that you're backing up the things that you say with scientific research, if that's appropriate, uh, or other things to help demonstrate the truthfulness or the authoritativeness of your content. So can adding an expert reviewer help? I have had cases where I really feel like it has helped my clients, um, but these clients legitimately did hire expert reviewers. And I think what a lot of people are doing are trying to find loopholes where they can try to trick Google into thinking that a a doctor or a professional has uh, reviewed your content. And if that's what you're trying to do, there really isn't a way to do that as far as I'm aware of. What's Google's favorite snack to EAT so I can leave it on the mantle? I think there's a cheese joke in there somewhere. You know, one of the first discussions that was that I could find online in regards to entities and to using entities in search was talking about all of the different entities that are cheeses. I think that's why John Mueller uses cheese or sometimes uses cheese in his Twitter bio. Here's a great question by Paris. How does EAT affect an online ed tech platform? And I asked Paris for a little bit more information. He said that his ed tech platform sells on BA, uh, online MBA degrees uh, and certification programs, that type of thing. So that's a really, really competitive niche. I've worked with a few sites uh, that are trying to rank in this area and it's incredibly competitive because it's incredibly lucrative that you can make good money from affiliate programs if you're referring people to uh, MBA programs that uh, actually pay back affiliate fees for that. To, to answer this question, put yourself in the shoes of somebody who is searching for this information on getting an online MBA. This is a really serious decision in their life. And so this is very clearly a YMYL topic, which means that EAT is very, very important. 
most likely, and I haven't looked in great detail at the keywords that you want to rank for, but most likely what's important for these keywords is real world expertise in guiding people with this type of decision on where to get their online MBA. Now, you could possibly outrank a site with real world expertise. I think the only way that you would do this is if you are able to present information in a way that's clearly more valuable than all of your competitors, which is a really, really hard thing to do. In the past, you could do what everybody else does is create a cookie cutter site, a site that says, well, you know, here's our template for reviewing, uh, universities for reviewing degrees. And, uh, we're going to fill in this line, this line, and this line. And, you know, and then what you could do in the past is if you knew SEO, you could do on-page SEO, you could build links to this content and the links would convince Google that it is more authoritative than it is. You're not going to artificially build links to your content that are going to convince Google that other people are saying, you know, this is the place you need to go to, to get information on these degrees. So in the past, you might be able to rank, anybody could rank for these queries with the right amount of links. But today there's a, a, a certain amount of legitimacy in your business that needs to be present in order to rank for this type of query. How do you give Google these signals to demonstrate your legitimacy. I, I made this big assumption that maybe you're not legitimate. I, I, you, you probably are. And if you have real world expertise in guiding people in helping people to choose an MBA, then this is something, uh, that you need to demonstrate on your website. And so anything that you can do to demonstrate that you do this in real life, perhaps some user generated content, perhaps some testimonials from people who, uh, you have helped to guide, uh, in the right direction and to find the right a career path that they want to take. You, you, you just cannot produce the same cookie cutter site that everybody else has. You have to find a way to stand out. I think the biggest struggle for you will be finding ways to produce original information. Google's questions tell us that they want to promote information that's original, that's insightful, that demonstrates a deep knowledge on the subject. And, uh, if you can figure out how to do that, because if you legitimately have real world expertise in this area, you should be able to, uh, say, what are, what is everybody else getting wrong? That that's how I started my website. When I was first a veterinarian, uh, people would come to me with these, uh, things saying, you know, I read this on Yahoo answers and it was clearly wrong advice. So as an expert, I'm able to demonstrate my expertise just because I am an expert. And this is something that you need to, uh, try to let shine through on your website. All right. Here's the question that a lot of people have. And Mike Ginley asked what we're all thinking is how do we measure EAT. If you're working for an agency, if you have multiple clients and you're trying to do work to improve EAT, how do you demonstrate to those clients that you've done work and how do you, what, what metrics can you use to, to measure them? Well, this is really, really difficult because EAT is different for every different site. So, uh, you know, for a medical site, I might do things like monitor, uh, whether my citations are up to date, whether most recent, uh, medical information has been integrated into my articles, but that's doesn't make any sense for maybe a tech blog to do that type of thing. So a checklist that everybody can follow is a, a, a difficult thing. Um, some of the things that I might be monitoring, and I'll tell you, you know, a good friend of mine and I had talked about releasing a tool. She's got this tool. We could very easily integrate a number of things where you could measure 
uh, your efforts for uh, producing a better EAT. And uh, it just hasn't happened yet. Maybe it'll happen at one point. But the problem is that it's looking different for every single site. So I might monitor things like mentions, uh, links that I'm getting, and uh, the EAT of those links. So am I getting links from places that are just links? Or am I getting places uh, that I would be thrilled to have that mention, even if it was a no-followed link? That's the type of mention that will pass on EAT-related signals. Um, and so one of the things that I might monitor is competitors' authors. I might look to see whether they've added uh, expert-level reviewers, um, whether they're adding new authors, whether they're implementing schema in ways that perhaps I could consider uh, doing as well. Schema is something as well that I would be monitoring on a regular basis. I want to make sure that every time a new piece of content is published, that I'm using same-as schema to say, the author who wrote this, it's the same author that was featured in this authoritative place, uh, things like that. I think another thing that would be important to keep on, on top of is brand mentions, is where you have been mentioned, where your competitors have been mentioned. And again, just like old style link building, where have my competitors been featured in the press where perhaps I could be featured in the press as well and go after some of those. But there really isn't a standard when it comes to measuring EAT. Here's an excellent question by Jeff. Jeff says, is there value in updating old blogs that perhaps weren't written with EAT in mind to make them more appealing to the audience and search? So these are old pieces that were written before you were really considering EAT. And I would say, yes, I do think that there's uh, worth, it's worth the time spending to clean up those issues. Now, anytime we talk about a content prune, we have to be really careful. Uh, you don't wanna be removing pieces that have links pointing to them. You don't want to be messing up your internal linking structure. Removing content is something that is not to be done lightly. But if you have content that you wrote that is talking on YMYL topics, your money or your life topics, and you're lacking EAT, or expertise to talk on these topics, this could be seen as a negative for quality against your whole website. Uh, I picture it as Google saying, look, we want to rank this website for this particular YMYL query, but we can see that in the past they've written content that maybe wasn't trustworthy or was produced by somebody who didn't have the expertise to write that content. And that can count as a negative for you. Now, I do think that Google is smart enough to figure out that if over time you've been producing super high level content, that that past stuff will not hurt you, but we don't know that. And so personally, I think if you have content that uh, I was you know, really worried about in terms of EAT, then I would get it out of Google's index so that it doesn't count towards quality for your entire site. Stephen asks, what are the common mistakes and misinterpretations regarding EAT? There are a lot of them. And I think the first thing that I would talk about is author bios. Uh, I am probably guilty of um, the being the cause of a lot of people writing author bios for EAT because I had good success when we first started doing this. We had sites where we added author bios and we saw improvements. I had somebody come up to me at a conference once that was a very large automobile website and they said, you know, we heard you talk and we implemented author bios on just a subset of pages and with the next core update, just those pages improved dramatically in rankings. And so uh, these are really exciting things when we have cases like like this. But author bios are just a tiny component of EAT. And so I think a lot of you are focusing on author bios when uh, it's really not the most important thing. 
take a look at who's ranking against you for your queries, whether they have author bios and whether those author bios actually contribute to uh, a user's decision on to whether or not to engage with your content. Um, a lot of you are creating author bios uh, that don't need to be created. Don't get me wrong, it's very good to have author bios. They should be linking to author pages that fully extol that author's EAT, and we should be using schema to demonstrate where they are featured around the web as well. The next thing that I think people make a mistake on is thinking that EAT is for only YMYL topics. As we've learned just this week, EAT is important for everything. Again, the QRG talks about different ways that EAT could be measured. For some sites, it matters to have links from or mentions from authoritative experts. For others, having a reputation for being known on this topic could be more popular, uh, could be more important to be more popular uh, as well. The third issue where I think people make a mistake in terms of EAT is trying to manufacture EAT. You, you can't do it. EAT is legitimacy. I saw somebody ask me a question on what would you do if you were a black hat and you were trying to pretend to have EAT? You, you can't do it. That's the point is, I mean, I'm sure there are people who are trying and there are probably ways that you can, uh, you know, try to trick Google, but Google's main goal is to present legitimate businesses. And so this should not be something that we, uh, that we think about is trying to fake EAT. If your job as an SEO is trying to make a company look authoritative when it's not, then you've got a very difficult job ahead of you. I mean, it can be done, but uh, it's going to take years of producing a, a reputation for your topics, of um, a, a, of getting links, yes, but not built link building in ways that you can just easily do. I would say that the final issue, the worst issue that I see in regards to EAT is not making EAT a main focus. Now, it's not often that Google tells us like, look, this is important for ranking. And they've told us in several places that EAT is very important. And some SEOs will say, well, you know, this is nothing new. Google has valued EAT that we've just learned that Google has valued EAT for years now, even before we as SEOs recognize the concept of EAT. So we could say, well, this is nothing new. This is just how we should have been functioning all along. But I would say that Google gives us all of this information in their documentation and the entire quality raters guidelines that are really clues to what they look for in terms of EAT. I think it would be ludicrous not to be spending time focusing on how we can improve in the eyes of these guidelines. A few years ago, I wrote a book that is a checklist that my team and I use when we're evaluating EAT. You can buy this book at mariehaines.com book. I reduced the price to $20. We used to sell it for 99 um, because I have a new book coming out, but this one is still really, really good. And if you're trying to find ways to evaluate your EAT, I really think that this is something that will help you. We've got just a couple more here and then we're going to finish up. This question is one that I get asked a lot as well is, can you show me proof that EAT is working? And this is going to be very, very difficult for anybody to do. So I have had cases. I told you about one case where a client added author bios and actually hired expert authors. And with a subsequent core update, it was the medic update on August 1st, 2018. This client saw big, big gains, uh, in, in all of their keyword rankings. We don't know. Those gains could have happened regardless. It might be that Google's algorithms just reconfigured and decided that their content was relevant once again. But I do believe that it was the author bios uh, that did it in this case. 
I had another situation where a site had rebranded and they sold a product that you would all know. Think uh, like office chair. So if, if you did a search for office chair, um, they were ranking on page two or three for their main queries. Uh, and they used to rank really well. And ever since they rebranded, they, they did not. And so what we did for them was advise on improving the signals that demonstrate that, yes, this is the same company. Uh, and so we talked about updating citations on the web. Um, we talked about uh, changing your about page to have verbiage to say, we're the company that used to be known as this company. Uh, and we did a number of things to help Google connect the dots. And within a short period of time after doing that, there was another core update and this site jumped up to top one, two, and three ranking positions for uh, these very, very important queries and very competitive queries as well. Again, maybe Google could have figured that out on their own. Maybe we didn't need to go in there and uh, help Google connect the dots. They probably would have eventually got it. I can't say whether it was our EAT work that uh, helped this site improve, uh, but they were very happy with the work that we recommended for them. Those examples were both uh, several years ago though now. And the reason why I can't give you a recent example of something where we said, yeah, we did this and it had this effect is because we rarely do that. What we do now is we look for as many ways that we can improve EAT and also uh, content helpfulness and content quality uh, on, a, on a site. And so it's rare that we can say, well, we did this one thing and, and here's why it improved. Uh, I'll put up on screen some examples of sites that uh, we've worked with that have done really well with the recent September core update. And uh, these would all be doing things that I've mentioned in my book, like, uh, you know, building EAT by getting mentions and links, um, and also uh, improving schema on site, uh, and most importantly, improving how you are producing content to searchers uh, in a way that makes it helpful for them. Every week, I include more in my newsletter, whatever. Uh, Google has done that's interesting and that I think we can take advantage of to improve quality in our websites. You can find that at mariehaines.com slash newsletter. If you enjoyed this video and you want to learn more about EAT, I'm going to suggest this next video uh, on my EAT webinar. It's a few years old, but it still gets watched by many people and YouTube's algorithms seem to like it. So I'd recommend that you go with that next. Thanks for listening and I wish you the best of luck with your rankings.